Yes, yes, it is DJ Ski from Dash Radio, and you are now listening to the number one South Asian radio station in the world. I'm talking about Ruckus Avenue Radio, Dash Radio's exclusive South Asian station. Let's go. I'm a doctor, a father, an American, an Indian. I've had conversations about life from every angle, and as I've navigated the South Asian experience, I share stories of people and their purpose. And what they're saying over and over again is, trust me, I know what I'm doing. I'm Abhay Dharnikar, and on this episode of Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing, a conversation with Dr. Dave Choksi, the 43rd Commissioner for New York City's Department of Health and Mental Hygiene. Stay tuned. On March 11, 2020, the WHO declared COVID as a global pandemic, and our world has not been the same. We've grown to live with contrasts, where we're so well connected but have faced isolation, where our confidence and faith in institutions has been questioned, and yet we see care, leadership, guidance, and comfort from them, where our appetite for creativity is insatiable, yet we approach some challenges with hesitancy and perhaps without boldness. The culture of a pandemic has surely changed the way we live, the way we learn and work, and the way we interact. It's framed that which we are grateful for and also much of what has been lost. We've all gone through so many resets, and as we cross the two-year mark of the pandemic with new hopes and new challenges, I was grateful to share a conversation with a physician who's helped navigate America's largest city through this time period, Dr. Dave Choksi, the 43rd Commissioner of New York City's Department of Health and Mental Hygiene. Dave is the son of immigrants and grew up in Louisiana. He's a Rhodes Scholar, he's been a White House Fellow, and he's served in many capacities both globally and domestically, and in private, academic, and public settings. Dave has also been caring for patients as a primary care physician at Bellevue Hospital for the past seven years, and by early 2020, he was serving as the Chief Population Health Officer for New York City, where he led teams through some terrific systems-based improvements and community-based innovations just prior to assuming his current role during the pandemic. I was so honored and thrilled to chat with Dave, to hear about his perspective, and to learn more about his personal and professional journey through the past two years. I especially was interested in hearing about his reflections on the early days of the pandemic, and if he remembered what his thoughts were during those challenging early moments. I do, I mean, the, the memories of February, March, April, 2020 are, are seared you know, in my brain uh, forever. And it happened to be a kind of, you know, an inflection point in my career. I had uh, decided that I was going to um, step down from my former position, which was at New York City Health and Hospitals, the public health care system for the city. Um, after doing a six-year stint there, work I was really proud of. So it was actually like a very uh, emotional and difficult decision for me to um, step away from that. And I remember in the middle of February, I announced to my team, you know, that I was planning to step down at the end of March. And literally the next week was when it dawned on me and, you know, many other people that, that COVID was not, you know, it was not um, MERS. It was not, you know, something that uh, we would sort of track as an outbreak, but, but not have such consequences for us. It was something that was of a totally different stripe. And so long story short, you know, once uh, I had that realization, I ended up 
staying at health and hospitals. You know, the end of March when I was supposed to have left was actually the peak of the wave in New York yeah. City. And so I ended up, you know, staying there for several more months uh, before I subsequently became health commissioner. Do, wait, you know, at that moment where you did realize it was at this inflection point, for you, it was definitely a, a shift or a sea change professionally. You know, as, as a parent, as a, as a husband, what was going through your head at, at that time? Because, you know, I'm sure the professional side and the personal side often merge. But in times of when you realize that aha moment of how serious something like this is, I'm just curious what your emotions were at that time. Yeah, thanks for asking that. Such a, you know, such a good, uh, important lens to, you know, to think about that time as well. Well, I'll say uh, it was the first time that I actually brought my my daughter, who was who was less than a year old at that point, uh, to our emergent the, the emergency room of our neighborhood hospital, which is actually Elmhurst Hospital in Queens, mm -hmm. uh, which ended up being the epicenter, you know, of the pandemic just a few short weeks later. Anyways, we, we didn't bring her there for, for COVID uh, at that point, although we did uh, about a year after that. But because, you know, she had suffered a minor injury. And what I remember seeing was how uh, actually empty, you know, the emergency room was. And just thinking about the terror, you know, as a parent of what ended up being perfectly fine, you know, but um, but then, of course, so many families went through uh, their own episodes with COVID that, that were not, you know, that didn't end up fine. And then my wife, who's an educator, I remember in March, you know, as again, we were wrapping our brains around this and she was hearing about her colleagues falling sick and uh, some of them passing away. And you know, the difficult decisions about when to close schools and, you know, the risk associated with, with being in school when there was so much uncertainty. So it was a very, you know, uncertain time for all of us. And one where because so much of our life, you know, is dedicated to public service was a moment where we felt a huge degree of responsibility of duty, you know, to, sure. to meet this moment for the people that we were serving, but, but also a lot of personal risk. When you reflect back on both the times that you're sharing right now as, as a parent, as a husband, but then also the challenge of, of being a leader in this space, are there bits of advice that you would offer to coach the Dave Choksi of February, March, 2020? <laughs> <laughs> now thinking back. Yes. Well, let me start by just saying that I, the past two years have been uh, the most intense of my entire life, you know, extraordinarily challenging and perhaps, you know, the most uh, challenging period that I'll ever have professionally. Um, it's tested my, my limits and my leadership skills, you know, and stretched them in many cases beyond, uh, you know, beyond their bounds. So the only real like comparison that I have to it is you'll remember those first few weeks of internship, you know, yeah. the beginning of residency where you're confronted with your shortcomings, you know, at every turn, you, you feel everything that you don't know, and also a tremendous responsibility on your shoulders. And so all I can say is that, you know, each day I woke up incredibly motivated because I knew how important the work was. And I sought to be worthy, you know, of the responsibility that was on, on my shoulders and my team's 
shoulders. So if I, you know, the, the thing that I would go back and, and say is just to remind myself of how important it is to, to nourish your convictions, to keep your values, you know, core, uh, to figure out the ways to, you know, to, to keep them at the center of everything that, that you do. Um, and certainly, you know, and for the toughest decisions that I had to make during the pandemic, whether it was figuring out when to reopen schools or how to talk about Johnson and Johnson vaccine when there was right. a pause, you know, put on it, all of those, I, I really tried to reach back and and orient around my my core values, which are truth, justice, and kindness, yeah. uh, and seek to embody them in the decisions that I was confronting. You're listening to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. After a quick break, we'll come back to our conversation with Dr. Dave Choksi. Stay tuned. Hi, everyone. It's Abhay Dandekar from Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. So I'm excited to share an upcoming event that's being brought to you by Indiaspora, which is inspiring the global Indian diaspora to be a force for good. Please join them for a fireside conversation with the one and only Bayal Kadakia, the founder of ClassPass and author of LifePass, Drop Your Limits, Rise to Your Potential, this Thursday, March 17th at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, and you can register at indiaspora.org. Again, don't miss what's surely going to be a terrific conversation with Bayal Kadakia on March 17th at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific, hosted and presented by Indiaspora. Register now at indiaspora.org. Welcome back to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. Let's rejoin our conversation with New York City's Commissioner of Health, Dr. Dave Choksi. You know, this this backdrop of your values, this idea of the lessons learned from your intern year, you, know, you have you have such rich experience in, in public and academic medicine and as well in situations of sort of responding to natural disasters and, and even, uh, you know, pandemics in the past, they all seem like they would be great substrate for preparation. What was so different about this in your experience? I mean, yeah, certainly there there were playbooks to to be had, but and yet this just really seems like it 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 broke all those boundaries. Yes, uh, it it was of a, a whole different echelon, and it was because of the the speed, the reps, you know, the uncertainty. Um, more so than in any other point in my career, I was relying on instinct and intuition. You know, mm-hmm. I'm a I'm an internist. You're you're a pediatrician, and we we share a little bit of a lineage in that we like to be deliberative, right? We like to make sure we've thought carefully about the differential diagnosis and debated it with colleagues, and you know, really come to a well sort of fleshed out uh, understanding. And that's how my brain usually works. And there yeah. was just no time, you know, to do that. And so I had to rely on. First of all, an amazing team, you know, people who are in in many cases smarter and more expert than I am. Uh, But then ultimately, you know, instinct and intuition to a far greater degree than I ever had before. And that's another reason why it was so important to nourish, you know, your convictions to make sure that what you're relying upon derives from that rather than being reactive, you know, in the moment and, and, and seeking to just make a decision because you have to make a hasty one, you know, rooted in in something else other than, um, you know, what fundamentally you're trying to keep central in terms of serving people. You know, 
Dave, how'd you remind yourself of that frequently? I mean, oftentimes, you know, for us in healthcare, but, you know, even in the general, the general public, we've been prone and, and many have succumbed to sort of a futility or a resignation. And those kinds of moments, of course, test your your faith in those values or, um, you know, you know, when you were maybe prone to some of those moments, how'd you remind yourself of that? What, what were some of the ways or the methods or even the philosophies to, you know, curb these kinds of feelings and, and for that matter, even, you know, stave off panic and burnout that are, that are so common right now. Mm. Well, for me, you know, a key, and I, this is true of everyone, but, but for me, it was about people you know, surrounding myself with people who could hold up the mirror and frankly reflect back a better version of myself than I happened to be, you know, in yeah. a particular moment. My wife, my sister, my my parents. Uh, I, I do, you know, with a couple of friends, uh, actually two, two other South Asian uh, men, Vivek Murthy and Sunny Kishore, we do a monthly video call, you know, where we check in and talk about, you know, the most difficult things that we're confronting, particularly personally. Um, and those were so important to me because they, they helped with, particularly when I was veering, they helped to sort of bring me back to, uh, to center and remind myself of the best, you know, version of myself that, um, that I can be. And then the other thing, you know, to get to your question about how to maintain equanimity and energy you know, I wish I could tell you that I have a highly disciplined meditation practice. Um, in truth, it's it's quite spotty. It's, you know, something that I've strived to do my entire life and have never quite, you know, been able to make it a regular practice. But what I did do to a greater extent was find uh, meditative moments in my day-to-day. -day. Like, for example, I remember uh, particularly... Uh, rocking my daughter to sleep, you know, that it was actually like the only 15 minutes that I would have where I didn't have my device around me. I was just focused in the moment. And actually that physical motion of rocking, you know, was was yeah. soothing for me, um, as well as for the baby. And those were also really important for me to recompose, you know, and center myself. You know, in thinking about sort of those roots, right, your family, your heritage, your uh, regional or geographic, you know, upbringing. Remind me, by the way, are, you're from Louisiana? Yes, I grew up in Baton Rouge. Were there kind of elements of growing up in Baton Rouge as the son of immigrants, as an Indian American? Some of those clearly served you well during this kind of challenging time, especially in a leadership role. Were there other elements that sort of made their way into being foundational reminders again or or landmarks here can we attribute any of those kinds of experiences maybe as as guide wires were there models especially from the relationship development standpoint or even connections to others mm. yeah i mean you know gr growing up vegetarian in louisiana uh you know we i had a version of the lunchbox experience that is right. uh you know that's common to so many of us in in immigrant families particularly south asian families but you know i i mention it because uh because jainism has had you know such an influence on my 
on my thinking, particularly when it comes to ethical systems, you know, and I, one of the things that I most appreciate about it is the way in which it forces us to think about porous boundaries between categories that we would otherwise think are uh, disparate and discrete, you know, the, the notion of ahimsa, you know, um, nonviolence applies equally, not just to fellow human beings, but also to animals, you know, and ultimately that's about challenging the orthodoxy of why you know why is it that we consider humans different from animals in the first place and there's something that's really important about that to push back against the tribalism that i think underlies a lot of the polarization and radicalization you know that we see in the world today and the other thing i'll just say more uh, i almost tactically is that Growing up in Louisiana and then working at the Louisiana Department of Health, including, you know, around Katrina, I've really brought that vantage point to New York City, where we have such an abundance of resources, you know, the New York City Health Department, which I have the privilege of leading, is the most well-resourced municipal health department, um, probably in the world. Yeah. And so uh, it's always been a push for me to not take that for granted. And to say that we have an enormous responsibility to ensure that we're putting those resources to good use and to be, you know, stewards of uh, government and to show that government can be muscular and effective, you know, particularly in the moments that the public needs us. It, it sounds like the tradition of your Jane roots and your Jane practice, and then also the backdrop of being from Baton Rouge and experiencing uh, life in Louisiana sort of gives you that empathy and humility in some ways to uh, respect what what resources are available. You know, you know, with that in mind, it, I've been so impressed with all the community-based work that, that happens and paying so much attention to health equity and, and delivering and, and particularly executing on, on these missions. Are, are these the sort of interstitial strengths in relationship development, particularly at the, the community level, and, then, and more importantly, the neighborhood level? Is this the secret to long-term success, particularly when it comes to cultivating trust and mm -hmm. getting away from this idea of uh, loneliness uh, and building more faith, perhaps, in our public health institutions, where there's, there's been just such an erosion of that faith? Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, some deep and intricately related, you know, questions in um, in what you're pointing out. And thank you for doing it so thoughtfully. I'll, you know, I'll anchor on the the notion of humility being at the root of so much of it. And I do think that that is something that you know has has come from the particular upbringing that I had, uh, from you know the the example of my parents in particular. You know, my my mother is uh, certainly someone who. Uh, always talked about kindness uh, in a way that it became, you know, one of my core values. But humility is what drives the idea of government or public health or large institutions or wealthy people, you know, taking a step back and saying that if our goal is truly to serve the public, to advance community health, you know, to put low-income people or otherwise marginalized communities at the center, it requires 
us taking a step back and empowering others. The, the reflex to do that is rooted in humility. Um, but, you know, from a more hard-nosed perspective, it's also the most effective way to do it. You know, we saw it during our vaccination campaign. We worked with community-based organizations. We funded them. It wasn't the health department going into places where, frankly, the government or doctors are not trusted. You know, it's faith leaders. Um, it's people who uh, have come from those communities and therefore have deep roots, you know, and networks in specific neighborhoods. And yes, I do think that those are the pathways that have to be traveled for us to, to rebuild trust. And, and trust is, you know, the soil that public health is rooted in. All of our interventions, you know, depend on a certain level of trust. And so it's something that's very important for us to name and to cultivate more explicitly. You're listening to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. After a quick break, we'll come back to our conversation with Dr. Dave Choksi. Stay tuned. Ruckus Avenue Radio. Welcome back to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. Let's rejoin our conversation with New York City's Commissioner of Health, Dr. Dave Choksi. Are those place-based or, or community accelerators, if you will, um, whether they're faith-based leaders or, or private businesses, um, you know, barbershop owners, are these the accelerators or trusts as well as kind of the guardrails against mistrust? Um, you know, partnerships like this, whether they're, you know, these are not novel ideas, but, you know, do, do policy, does policy have to really reflect that going forward, as opposed to sort of them being novel innovations that maybe are structural ways to, to get through this? Yeah, well, I think this is one of the abiding lessons of the pandemic is that, you know, policy can hit the ground and be ineffective if that trust does not exist. We see it in vaccine inequity, you know, in... Um, and the fact that even through our most recent, you know, fourth wave of Omicron in New York City, despite all of the really wonderful work that I'm proud of, the hospitalization rate for Black New Yorkers was double that of white New Yorkers, even with relatively similar vaccination rates. We have to confront, you know, those inequities and ask ourselves why it is, you know, that that is, that that is happening. And the answers do arc back to you know, to those notions of, of trust. And I think that we have to, we have to do it at scale. Mm. A lot of this has been done in sort of one-off or very bespoke, you know, ways rather than us making massive investments, you know, in, for example, community health workers, which is another model that is, you know, that is rooted in uh, trust and longitudinal relationships. Um, I do think, and we've seen this around the world, we were just talking about your experience visiting uh, Cuba, you yeah. know, where, you know, where this is something that is much more commonplace or in Costa Rica or even parts of India, yeah. where, you know, these, these models have been used to great success. And that is the common element is trusted relationships. Dave, you're stepping down soon as commissioner. I'm just curious, what, what's, the, what's the one word of advice that you have for your successor, for someone who's going to be stepping into your shoes soon? Mm. I think I would focus on endurance. Mm. Um, you know, public service is, 
I, I liken it to, to being a running back. So, you know, you, you have to always keep your legs pumping and you have, you're never going to know when there's going to be an opening to, to run down the field and really make progress. Most of the time you're stuck behind the 300 pound, you know, offensive linemen because there are so many barriers, you know, unfortunately to getting the work done. And so you, you really have to have endurance and that goes back to nourishing your convictions and, you know, orienting around your values. Um, but to do it in a way that you keep at it, you know, I'll just give you a couple of examples. We, uh, we launched the nation's first publicly recognized overdose prevention centers. We did this, you know, because the overdose crisis is at, uh, you know, at uh, an emergency level. But this is something that took years, you know, to lay the groundwork for. My predecessors as commissioner, you know, did that work. And then we got an opening and we launched the first two in the entire country, you know, in November of 2021. It's also something that, you know, I find in medicine and particularly in academia, people prize originality and cleverness, you know, and actually to get stuff done in the real world and particularly in public service, it's really about having the will and the endurance, you know, mm -hmm. these are overdose prevention centers are an idea that, you know, have, have 30 years of an evidence base from around the world, but it, it takes will and energy and endurance to actually get those types of things done in public service. As you think about your sort of lasting imprint on the folks you lead and then bringing it back, of course, to now your perhaps non-leadership um, roles as a physician, as a parent, as a New Yorker, as a global citizen, what makes you optimistic and hopeful now going forward? Yeah, well, you know, there, there has been so much tragedy and suffering over the past two years around the world. Uh, and we've all borne witness to it in one way or another as clinicians, as, you know, family members, as loved ones. So there is, there is a lot of despair in the world. And I think it's important to recognize that and uh, to acknowledge that there are good reasons, you know, for that in this moment. But I do remain hopeful. And, you know, some of the reasons why are, you know, from being a parent myself, you know, you you have to be hopeful um, when you look your child in the eye and, you know, you think about the world that we're leaving them. You know, this is something that is our responsibility. It's our generation's task, uh, you know, to take these things on. I also derive a lot of inspiration, you know, from uh, younger people, folks who are who are half my age uh, with twice my my smarts. You know, they're really just they understand some of the things that that our generation has not been able to solve, whether it's about the importance of racial justice or addressing climate change. Uh, and so I think we need to, you know, we need to empower them and we need to get out of the way when when we're part of the problem. And then the last thing that I'll say is that this is a time for boldness. You know, this is a time for us to recognize that if before the pandemic, we didn't have sufficient motivation to change certain things, whether it was appropriate investment in the things that actually produce health or redressing racial inequities or, you know, finally getting serious about addressing climate change or, you know, thinking about 
wealth inequality, uh, you know, differently. This should have shaken us to our core, but also given us profound motivation to say we need step changes. We don't need incremental improvements. We need, you know, quantum leaps with respect to the most entrenched problems. And, you know, the big reason that I have for hope from that perspective is that we saw that it could be done during the pandemic. I remember walking through Bellevue, the hospital where I practice, and literally within a span of 12 hours, they transformed the waiting room of an endoscopy suite, mm-hmm. you know, a clinic waiting room into a functional intensive care unit. Right. right. We had been pushing to transform our system around telehealth for years. And then overnight, we did hundreds of thousands of telehealth encounters. You know, we're still recognizing how much the COVID-19 vaccines are a miracle, 11 billion doses around the world. So anyway, all to say, when there is sufficient motivation, we can get big things done. And so we have to rise above that understandable, you know, despair and exhaustion that a lot of people are feeling right now. And remember that we're capable of doing those big things. Well, I think um, from the inspiration that you provide, with lots of motivation and some terrific success uh, through your service and your your genuine kindness is so palpable. Dave, thank you so much for being with us. I, I, it was really a pleasure and I hope you'll come back and join us again. Thank you so much, Abe. I really enjoyed this too. Thank you. Thanks again, Dave. And we wish Dr. Ashwin Vasan, New York City's incoming commissioner of health, all the best. Are you looking for a community-based feel-good morsel of a solution in these difficult times? Use clean energy public transportation. It's the new chocolate. Till next time, I'm Abhaydandekar. What's going on, world? It's Martin Tuesley on Ruckus Avenue Radio, Dash Radio's exclusive South Asian radio station.